Hi, I'm David Russo. And I'm Jared Friesen. And this is My Friend the Philosopher. A series of conversations about encountering Jesus through friendship. Today we discuss the fundamental spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude, why they are non-negotiable in the Christian walk, and how we can realistically practice them. So I've been thinking about belovedness throughout this entire week so far, and reading, as I was telling you, Life of the Beloved by Nowen, and how he just perfectly describes that those who forego the true um, ownership of their own belovedness will be led to burnout and how that scared me in a like fear of the Lord way. And, and so throughout this entire week, I've just been heavily trying to work in myself deeper habits towards specific practices that will influence this belief in me. Mm. Contemplative prayer, silence and solitude, and or silence and solitude. Um, and you know, it's like now and who says that the spiritual life is pretty much impossible without silence and solitude. Mm. It, Willard says silence and solitude are the most important of practices. And I'm pretty convinced that it's because it's silence and solitude are the boundaries that affirm us of reality. It is Mm. the boundaries that help reunite us in the union with God. Mm. And you, man, over the years, I've just been so admirable of, I admire your contemplative life just how the, the practices that you do, the, just the different prayers that you lead us through. And um, because I forever want to be a student, I just wanna, I wanna talk about silence, solitude, contemplation. And I want to almost be a student. Mm. I want you to teach me what you found. And I wanna like share what I think and maybe the tensions that I've struggled with. Cause it is, I mean, I've been trying to practice these disciplines for the last two years, three years. And um, they are my favorite, but they're my least favorite. Oh yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> and teach me. Cause I want to like, I'm, I, I was telling you earlier, I have to relearn these all over again since I'm a father now in a small townhouse. Like I don't have a special office or room anymore to hide myself. I don't have a closet. I have my own bedroom. This helps for, but there's always the screaming of a child and I have to relearn this to teach. I want to just dive in. I want to, on this very important, and you know, it's not a popular practice. These practices are not popular, but they need to be. And I want to be the margin in that. Mm. They're almost like the anti-practices, huh? I've never thought about that until you 
kind of mention them as like the fundamental practices, but it's interesting right off the bat to say like what Willard and Nowen call some of the most fundamental practices in the Christian life are kind of like anti-practices. Go on. How do you, so how do you like mean? you would never go to like football practice and see a bunch of people doing nothing <laughs> and saying, oh, oh, they're practicing. So you're saying it's just because it's not proactive. Right. It doesn't look proactive. Exactly. Or we just associate the word practice to something that's mm-hmm. producing or, or um, proactive. You're like, but, you're moving out into the world. But isn't that like the, the myth of silence and solitude, that it's not proactive, that it's not producing things? Exactly. I think that's why we avoid it so much because on the surface, it looks like the most unproductive self-help thing you could do. You know, selfish self, it looks selfish. It looks boring. It looks, um, the, the results are very hard to kind of prove in some ways. There's a lot being written right now about like meditation and like how it's affecting and rewiring our brain. I think that's, that's showing us the opposite, but it still is one of those things when you're looking at your day and you're thinking about, okay, I've got a very limited amount of time that I can devote to some specific Christian devotional practice. How am I going to allot my time today for mm-hmm. that? For those intentional times, because also like we know for us, like our gold standard is this idea of prayer without ceasing, the idea of, of remaining in the presence of God 24 seven in the marketplace, in the poopy diapers, in the busyness, in the hard conversations with coworkers, in the emails, (laughs) the gold standard is like what we're going after as friends is how do I remain in presence? as close to 24-7 as possible in every circumstance, in every environment, every high, high, every low, low, how do I remain in presence? But there are specific practices that take intentional time and space that prepare us to live into that gold standard. So for Jesus, he, it says he only did what the Father was doing. So his entire life was living in that gold standard of constant awareness of the presence of God, constant obedience and flow with the presence of God. He was doing what he saw the father doing. So that means he had to constantly be seeing the father. And then he was acting in alignment with what he was seeing the father doing in every circumstance, you know, over dinner, as they're cleaning up dishes, as they're walking between towns, as they're booking a place to stay that night, he is doing what he's seeing the father doing. And yet Jesus had this rhythm of intentional practice. Mm. He, He was a rabbi that was discipling people in practices, you know, like you would go into a karate dojo and you have a sensei there and he's teaching, you know, he's teaching his like Padawan learners, like this is, this is what you do for karate. You know? Yeah. He, he was a discipler. So he's teaching them practices and it's, it's almost, it is impossible to make a case that Jesus did not practice silence and solitude 
frequently throughout his life. Like Mark says, he, he withdrew to um, deserted places, as was often his custom. Yes. Often. So he had a custom of often withdrawing away from people, going into solitude, being alone. And, we, and silence, I think, is, is something that maybe we get from when he's tested in the wilderness, you know, by Satan. He was, he was alone in the wilderness. It's quiet, you know, in the wilderness. It's desolate. So it's a very still, quiet space. But it's not just a external silence. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's an internal silence. There's so many thoughts. The commentary just in my yes. mind forever going. <laughs> it is an internal silence that we have to calm and yes. bring, bring forth to in order to listen, to hear. Yes. yes. That's that's right. And and I think you need the dedicated special practices. So something that's outside of your ordinary daily routine to influence your ordinary daily routine. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's possible to to live with interior silence in the midst of a really really busy crowded life mm. if we're not also intentionally making ourselves actually alone, physically alone. In the solitude, yeah. And in real solitude, in real, actual, quiet places. Yes. Yes. Something that I've, um, I'm not sure why this was the case, but forever when I would think of solitude, I would just think being alone with God. Mm. And when I would think that, I would just think emphasis on God. Mm. I'm with God. But I wouldn't ever consider that solitude is making a space for God and myself. Mm. And mm. so, so here's like, here's the tension that I have with these practices. Silence is quieting the external and internal noise to listen to the father to contemplate on what he's doing, what he's saying, what he's feeling, what, whatever. And, and solitude is creating space to be alone with God, which means that I am being aware of like emotions at times that are coming to the surface. Mm. How do we practice silence and solitude if silence is trying to silence ourselves and solitude is being aware of maybe thoughts or emotions that are being surfaced in ourselves? Mm. Does that how make do you, sense? How do you become silent when things are arising? You well, like how do you practice both? Because, like, from my understanding, solitude is about awareness. Mm. Solitude is I am going to be with God and myself, which means at times I'm going to feel specific things and think specific things because they're coming. I'm giving space for them to come yeah. to the surface yeah, or right. silence is I'm trying to silence the noise so I can hear God. How do those coexist? Cause one, I feel like I'm starting to listen to myself and the other one is I'm trying to stop the noise to listen to him. Yeah. I, I see them. I see both of those problems, I guess, existing in both places, that same problem at- existing with solitude and silence like it's 
it's very frustrating to start out meditating and realize how many thoughts like are buzzing through your head that are like a fog getting in the way from listening, getting in the yeah. way of listening. Um, so I, I guess I think of it maybe a little bit differently where solitude and silence are the ways that you confront all those voices most radically. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, on a really crowded train ride and it's really loud and buzzing around and you make yourself silence, you now have the problem of all of the stimulus of the crowd around you being really yes. loud. And that is a form of thoughts that you now have to wrestle with. But flip it and say you get alone on a mountain, you're off the train ride. You don't hear all the stimulus of the loud voices distracting you. Now, I think you're actually in a a harder spot for most people because now you see how chattery your own mind is and how buzzy Mm. your own emotions are. Mm. So solitude and silence, when they're coupled together, it's trying to say we're confronting both the external chatter of the world around us. So we live in a very loud, digital, you know, advertisement ridden life that speaks thoughts to us and it it feeds us emotions constantly so you need solitude to get yourself out of that environment of all these voices but once you're out of that environment you now wrestle with the second thing the interior silence which is what you're talking about which is yeah. now i find that even apart from all that stimulus in the world I'm alone in my Airbnb here in this beautiful little spot and I can't sleep at night because my brain is buzzing. I've, I've put away the cell phone. I've turned off all the distractions that are normally here, but I still feel like there's such a, a mental, emotional fog getting in between me and God. And, and that's, I think, mm-hmm. um, the harder practice is once you actually are in solitude and you find that you are not silent inside. You're very loud and anxious and restless and busy inside. So then, okay, let's say I'm at my local abbey Mm. and I'm praying. I'm in solitude. I'm silent. And something arises in me, an emotion, a thought. Yes. How do we know when that emotion or thought is not just noise Mm. or if it's something that I actually need to like attend to? Mm. Oh, that's good. I think a lot of tone, the, the difference of tone in speech. So if I say to you, you did a good job, Jared. Great job. You know what? You just did a great job, Jared. So proud of you. (laughs) You really nailed that, didn't you, Jared? Great job. Or if I say, great job, Jared. So proud of you, man. You just, you performed so phenomenally there. I'm saying the same message to you with two very different motives right behind the message 
so it's subtle, but I think learning to know what our shepherd, who is Christ, is, is, is trying to reveal to us is a lot, it's very connected to understanding the tone of his voice. Mm -hmm. What would the tone of your shepherd sound like if you knew that he was gracious, compassionate, full of loving kindness, he was gentle and lowly, he desired your good, your peace. Knowing those kind of attributes about him, knowing his character and his personality, mm-hmm. does the thing that's arising in you as you're in this time of prayer feel like it comes from that type of tone of a shepherd or does it have a different tone attached to it? Because even if it's a problem in you that Jesus is trying to confront, he's going to arise it in such a way that is still full of graciousness, compassion, loving kindness, mm-hmm. forgiveness, mercy, grace. It's, it will arise in that same light, like the way you're one day going to have to, you know, discipline Joshua, your son, you're going to come at him with two different tones mm. like, offered to you. You can say, let's talk about why you're having a really hard time cleaning your room, Joshua. Let's, I want to talk to you about that and see if we can help you. That, that's a good shepherd voice. That's a good shepherd heart expressed yes. through the tone, right? The motive and the intention is coming out now through the tone. So, I mean, meditation, it is an art and, you know, silence is an art for sure. It is a practice for sure. And so I think we grow in coming to know the voice of our shepherd. Mm -hmm. We come to understand, oh, this tone does not align with the character and the nature of the God that I know. Mm. I, I, as you're saying that I visualize it as the thoughts and the emotions uh, that come to us in that space, we're almost consistently offering it up for Mm -hmm. him to like, to filter. Mm -hmm. Yes. It makes me think that like silence and solitude as obvious as it is or sounds is impossible when we try to do it ourselves, just Mm -hmm. ourselves. Like you, you coming back to, I think what we talked about a few weeks ago, the introspection at ourselves, just looking at ourselves. So if I'm hearing you correctly, if we're going to practice silence and solitude, silence with just ourselves and God, we have to invite the -hmm. father to, I don't know if this is the right word, but to filter. Mm-hmm. to is this what you're speaking is this what you're highlighting yeah is this your voice your yeah. tenderness oh wait no this isn't compassionate and gracious this isn't slow to anger this is yes. accusational yes i think that's why the lord's prayer starts with our father who art in heaven yeah i think entering into to silence you you have to start out kind of in faith knowing who God is Mm. and actually observing him first before you can start having him observe you or reveal to you what he is observing in you. You have to start by, uh, I think 
Henry Nowen actually went to Mother Teresa. I just heard the story the other week. He, he went to her like very late in life after he was very accomplished, had written, you know, many books. He was a sought after speaker and he's asking her about like, I just don't know if I found my calling in life, wow. you know, and Mother Teresa's advice to him was, you know, I think you should sit down for an hour a day and adore God and everything will be all right. Mm. And that was it. Like she, she kind of just gave him option C. You know, so I think that same rule kind of applies in silence. It's very, very helpful for me to start out by remembering who God is first before I start asking him to reveal to me what's in me. Mm. And there's, there's three like moments in Jesus's life that I think kind of reveal his, his journey with silence and solitude. The first is when he comes out of silence and solitude for the first time after 30 years and he gets baptized. So you can almost think of Jesus's life as an anonymous life for those first 30 years. Wow. He lived a very yeah. hidden, quiet life. He was not making ripples in his community. So in some ways you could say Jesus came out of silence and solitude for the first time when he's around 30 years old. And when he's baptized, the, the, the confirmation of who he is, is behold, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So the father says, I see you. I love you. You are my beloved and I'm well pleased with you. And he's well pleased with Jesus before he has done any outward works of miracles, of, of making water into wine, of healing the leper of calling the disciples, Jesus has done none of that. And the father says, I see you. I know you. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. So Jesus has the, the confirmation of his identity in God before he's done anything outwardly. He's done no, like you were saying earlier, proactive outward practices. Mm. And then Right after that, he goes into the wilderness. He goes into silence and solitude again. <laughs> and what does Satan test him on? Does God really see you? Does he really love you? Is he really pleased with you? He's testing him basically on all of those fruits that have come out of mm. silence and solitude. Wow. He's testing him on, is your identity really what the Father says it is? That's the battleground. And what's crazy is all those thoughts flood into Jesus's heart and mind in the wilderness, in silence and solitude. He confronts the demons. So mm. it's par for the course when we go into silence and solitude and it feels like a wrestling match. That's partly what it is. We are wrestling with demons when we go into silence and solitude because they now have a voice that we can hear. It's not crowded out and distracted away. By the noise of our normal life, it's not crowded out by the noise of our mind. As we're becoming more and more still, we start to hear all these voices of accusation, which is what terrifies us, I think, about silence and solitude. And then the third moment in Jesus's life is later down the road where he goes on to the Mount of Transfiguration with James, John, and Peter. Mm, and yes. he takes them away to silence and solitude. Wow. And, and what happens is, he reveals to them what the father has confirmed about him 
at his baptism, where the father again is showing this is who Jesus is. Behold, he is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm -hmm. And I think Jesus was showing James, John, and Peter his private place of prayer as almost a model to us to know that we need to pull ourselves away from the noise of what everybody else says we are, of what society says that we are, of what we say we are, and we need to get away and we need to hear what the Father says of us. We need to receive our identity again and again and again from Him. So if if this space I'm hearing quite a bit from you is highly focused on abiding in who the Father says He is and who you are, Mm -hmm. is silence and solitude ever an appropriate space to, for lack of better words, get work done? (laughs) What do you mean by by work? By work, I mean like... um, I guess anything beyond those lines. Cause when I hear that, that, that seems like a lot of um, sitting in stillness and yeah. listening and um, not so much uh, like if I truly want to abide in my belovedness in this space, mm. I just want to hear him. Mm-hmm. I want to know what he speaks of me because I know that he speaks truth, that he's good, that he's the father. Mm. Is silence and solitude ever a space for me to engage in a way where like I'm bringing up my own things that I'm thinking? Mm. I, I would say no, mostly no. I would mm. think this is more of a passive practice where you are becoming receptive so to, this, to so so when we think of intercession and mm-hmm. and things that we want him to uh, to to bring into supplication, like, yes, yes. Yeah. When we think of things that we bring to God, right? This is a complete. That's a completely different practice. That's right. This is what God is bringing into us, and that's why it's it goes against the the religious Pharisee in me so strongly. Uh, because wow. a religious Pharisee loves to prove their holiness through what they have done for God and not dwell as long in what has God done for me. Mm. So it would make sense as to why we prioritize these two practices very little. Mm-hmm. Because like, oh, there's so many different kinds of prayer. Mm-hmm. What are we going to engage with? The ones yeah. where we are in control, kind of. Yeah. Where, and like, I can't think of another practice that you have less control than silence and solitude. Because oh, what is, yes. is. Yes. The darkness is exposed, but yes. the light is also shining. And you're just kind of there being like, will That's I fine. sit here? Will I, will I sit or will I run? For better or for worse? Yeah. Will I receive this love or will I allow the darkness within me to be exposed? Yeah. Or should I just go and intercede? Or should I just go like ask him for things? Or should I just, yeah. 
Yep. Or will I allow the gardener to bring the pruning shears really close and begin just gently, slowly snipping away and also cultivating what's in me? So are there, there's no um, algorithm (laughs) towards silence and solitude. There's no No step by step. step. But are there um, maybe thoughts of wisdom that can almost act as steps that leads one to a place of silence and solitude? Like if I'm sitting down, are there things that I can think of that will help me lead my soul to a a place of rest? Mm. Yeah, I think that's where it's really important to know the limitations of even thinking, you know, like thinking is a very helpful tool that gets you to real silence, but then the tool has to actually fade away as you enter into it. So that's an important thing to to notice. And the same with our bodies. So if you think of our bodies um, having emotions and having thoughts, um, but also having a spirit, it's helpful for me to think about like these different parts in us. It's a very helpful word of wisdom to know that it's good to start with your breathing when you're going to meditate, to pay Mm. attention to something very physical and grounded in you. So you direct the attention to the breathing, you direct the attention to your physical body, feeling it seated in a chair or standing and the weight of your feet, making contact with the ground or laying down on a bed and feeling yourself being cradled by that. You know, like you begin by consciously thinking of, I'm in a body, you know, Mm. and then Another word of wisdom that's very practical is to, to just be an observer of your thoughts, to realize that you can observe your thoughts. Um, and this, this was the turning point for me, I think, about understanding my own understanding of like what we are as humans is in Corinthians, I think, chapter two, it says, what man knows the thoughts of, the, of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Wow. So what man knows the thoughts of himself yes. except for the spirit of that man who dwells you know, in him? And so I believe the function, one of the functions at least of our spirit is to observe our thoughts. Mm. The trick is most of us believe we are our thoughts yes. because we have them all the time. But there is, there, it creates a little bit of space when you start to realize, oh, I'm not my thoughts. I observe my thoughts. I observe thoughts mm-hmm. as they pass through my consciousness. And that begins to create a bit of space already, which is giving you a bit of solitude. It's giving you a, mm-hmm. a little bit more of a cushion of, okay, there is something more going on in me than just my thinking and all these thoughts that are coming to me. And I actually can just begin by observing them. So practical wisdom is pay attention to your body. Recognize that you are in a body. You're not just a brain that's thinking endless thoughts. And then secondly, realize that you also have a spirit, which is observing those thoughts. Mm. And then the third piece of wisdom goes into, I think this is what can springboard you into real interior silence. Like that verse keeps going on in Corinthians. And it says, 
but we have not been given the spirit of this world. We've been given the spirit of God mm-hmm. and by which we know the mind of Christ. Wow. And so something has happened in our spirit that was observing our thoughts that now has access to the thoughts of God because we have been given his spirit and his spirit sees his thoughts. It sees the mind of Christ. And thinking on these things, just thinking on these, I am a body. I am more than just a body. I'm more than just my thoughts. I've been given a new spirit and this new spirit sees the thoughts of God. That's kind of my checklist of if I'm trying to get into real silence, just sitting before God, it's reminding myself, who am I? What am I? Who is God? What is God? It sounds like it's intentionally slowing down and being present to what is. Mm. It's already true. I have a body. Yeah. And this is how it's feeling. Mm. These are the aches that I have. Mm. These are the joys that I have in my body. This is my spirit. And my spirit is finding these thoughts, these emotions, Mm -hmm. these feelings. That's right. And my spirit now gazes on the Father. That's it. And the Father then lavishes. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I I think of just a waterfall of just just buckets. Of his thoughts towards us. They're they're more than the sand in the sea, his Mm. thoughts towards you. So it's, it's choosing to slow yourself down, to come to the present place, to acknowledge what is, mm. and then to offer yourself up to the light. Yeah. So that the light could then not only offer itself to you, but then give you insight to those mm. thoughts you're feeling, those pains you're feeling, the joys you're feeling. Yes. Body. Oh, man. Spirit light and again to just just like to emphasize again it's not an equation there's no algorithm but there is wisdom Hmm. like there are different ways that people can enter into this that aren't this exact david way (laughs) (laughs) but many other ways i think i think having some sort of tips and tools because it's such a foreign concept Hmm. to like hey go spend a half an hour half hour in silence that sounds like the most opposite thing in our cultural moment. Mm. And so although there isn't, you know, algorithms mm. and equations and you have to do it this way or else you won't be silent or solitude or in union with God, there are, there is wisdom. Mm. So I'm curious, will you lead us in a, a contemplative prayer that leads us into mm. solitude with with the father. Oh yeah. <laughs> Don't have to ask you twice. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> mm. Just begin by noticing your breathing. Noticing the air as it enters your body and leaves your body. Feeling the sensation in your nostrils as you take a breath of air. Filling up your chest and diaphragm. 
then exhaling and noticing the breath leave you. Not trying to manipulate your breathing pattern in any way right now. Just simply notice it. Notice the air come in. Notice the air go out. Notice your feet on the floor. The contact of your feet with the ground beneath it. Notice the contrast between the potential movement in your toes, your ankles, heels of your feet, and the stillness of the ground beneath you. That you may move your body, but the ground is not moving. Notice your hips and back just seated in the chair. Feel the way that your weight is resting. Noticing tension in your body or muscle tightness in your face, your cheeks or in your brow. Simply noticing your physical body. Now I just invite you to imagine a stream. And on this stream, there's a procession of boats going by. You are sitting on a shoreline, watching the boats just go down this stream. You notice that every boat has a different thought or emotion feeling attached to it. Some boats could be called, I'm feeling good right now. Some boats could be called, I feel anxious. Another boat could be called, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Another boat could be, What do I have to do right after this? But notice your relationship to the boats, your relation to them. You are the one sitting on the shore watching the boats. The one who is watching is your spirit. And as you're sitting there just watching the boats pass through your stream of consciousness, you see Jesus come and sit right next to you on the shore.
And you turn and you look at him. You realize that he has thoughts and feelings of his own. He has a mind that thinks. And he thinks about you. He has thoughts about you. He feels for you. And you can be free now just to turn away from your own stream of consciousness and just gaze into his eyes, into his face. let go of the need to feel like you have to say anything to Jesus right now. Take a moment just to look and to listen. To behold him. To see him. Spirit to spirit. And as you're looking, remember what he said, that he has given you his spirit. That his spirit dwells in you, it lives in you. as you turn back to your stream of consciousness with your own thoughts, your own feelings, you can look at it all through his spirit. And you can return your attention even to your physical body now seeing it through his spirit. Noticing the air entering your body and leaving your body. Through his spirit, noticing yourself sitting in a chair. And even through his spirit as you open your eyes. Look around the room through his spirit. Huh. Wow. What a beautiful, imaginative prayer. I love how. Yeah, you could have led that through just uh, 
a prayer of, you, that could have just been a prayer of just recognition. You could have just done, you know, your typical, you know, your feet on the floor, coming mm-hmm. to awareness of your spirit, but it's just, it adds another layer to give that image as well of the river and Jesus and your spirit. And mm-hmm. the, the different avenues of just where you can take prayer. Prayer does not have to be boring.